0: You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, we uh, come this morning to celebrate what the church has been celebrating for 2,000 years, Lord, just the arrival of our Savior the first time. And so as we enter this Advent season, we want to try the best we can to shut out just all the other things that just clamor for our attention. Um, and certainly there's gifts to give and and meals to make and exams to take and all these things. But Lord, ultimately, uh, your church wants to be expectant for your return. And so I just pray that this would be a time where that is just one way we can turn our focus to that, that we can remember who we are and why we are who we are because of what you have done. And so I just, I pray for this, this next couple of weeks as we look at these things as, uh, about our Savior, um, which is why we uh, exist, it's why we uh, worship, it's why we uh, celebrate this holiday. So uh, we're grateful for that opportunity. I pray for my time now, that you would just use me as your vessel, that you would help me speak clearly, that you would use the the gifts and uh, personality that you've created me with to glorify Jesus in a way that only you can, that your spirit would fill me, empower me, uh, so that the church is built and encouraged. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Thanks, you guys can have a seat. All right, I am wearing my red, the only red shirt I have, because the other one, you see? All right. This actually doubles as Christmas slash Georgia One shirt, because even a blind squirrel finds it up once in a while. All right. (laughs) You guys can't take a joke. You should be happy, except for your Auburn fan, Bo your worship leader today, did a great job, is an Auburn fan, so have some, he's an Auburn grad, so have some affection for my brother. Um, A couple weeks ago he was smiling, today he's not. He's smiling because Jesus is alive, that's why he's smiling. (laughs) All right, so we've entered the Christmas season, we're singing the songs, you're putting on the river, the river, Christmas all day, right, and some of you, some of you are already sick, right, you're like, and if you're already sick of Christmas music, then I can't help you, all right, because you're already a pagan, all right, so... um, but, I mean, I, for me personally, this way, I've loved it. I go in my office, got the lambs radio, got my speakers called the edifiers. I don't know why, but that's just very fitting. They're edifying, right? So I crank up some Josh Groban, and I am happy, right? And if I'm feeling really hipster, I put some Josh Gerrals on for you young folks, all right? So those are the two Josh's of Christmas, Josh Gerrals, Josh Groban. Um, but, but I realized a couple years ago, uh, when we come into this season... That we sing all these songs and we're super familiar with them. And we, we memorize them because we sang them, you know, whether it's when we're a kid or whether it's at school. Uh, but often we know the tune and we know the lyrics, but we have no clue what we're singing, right? We just kind of sing them because we're familiar, just like we do with secular music, we miss the point. Of the song, because like on July 4th, everyone's done it. You go on to the, the July 4th party, and, and Bruce Springsteen's Born in the USA comes on, and you're like, yes, I am born in the USA, and you start, bored, and you don't realize that that song is actually not a favorable song to the USA, but it sounds good, because I'm bored. You misunderstand the point, right? You just, you just, or just, I told you before, it's like Mr. Mr., the song Kyrie eleison, every kid thought they were carrying a laser down the road that I must travel. And it's not carrying a laser. <laughs> all right, it's Latin for "Lord have mercy." You're missing the point of the song. Now it sounds better, carrying a laser. Yes. <laughs> or or the lyrics sometimes to us just don't even make any sense. Right? I mean, that's, that's just like for instance, famous song, "Tutti Frutti." All Rudy. A <laughs> wop babo, luba wop bamboo which means absolutely nothing, <laughs> right? Or, or the, the ultimate, the, the famous one I shared a couple years ago, I see a little silhouette of a man. Scaramouche, Scaramouche, will you do the Fandango? Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening. Galileo, 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 right? You're all watching Wayne's World tonight. But what does that mean? And so we sing these songs that we're super familiar with, and we have no clue what they mean or they just don't make sense, like the little Lord Jesus, no crying he made. What kind of baby doesn't cry? It doesn't make sense. And so what we did a couple years ago, we had a series called Let Heaven and Nature Sing, and we just kind of talked about some of the songs that we sing at Christmas and why they're important and what they mean so that when we sing them, we're not singing, "Scaramouche, Scaramouche," and I do the Fandango, and I the light, you know, and we know them, but we have no clue what we're singing, but it's kind of fun. And so we're doing part two of that one. I'll call that this time we called it Rejoice. And what we're going to do is just every week of Advent, we're going to look at a, a song that we sing that's a, a, a kind of a classic song that we sing at Christmas, talk about it, where does it come from in the Scripture, so that we can sing with intelligence and with our hearts. All right? So that's where we're going uh, as we enter Advent. I didn't grow up celebrating Advent, I was in a church, but I didn't, we didn't have that tradition. Right? Many of you did. Uh, all, and Advent is, is one of these uh, seasons that the church has created, and, and historians think it goes back to the 4th and 5th centuries. So this is something that's gone back a ways, where they would prepare themselves to celebrate the Christmas holiday by looking back at the first Advent of Jesus. But the point was not the little baby in Bethlehem. All right? We are reminded of the little baby in Bethlehem, but the point of Advent is that coming. So you look back at the first arrival so that you can look forward to the second coming of Christ in the clouds. And each tradition in each church there's a little different. There's no like set way. But typically we talk about one major theme each week. And there's a, there's a candle for each week. And we had our two young men light what's often called the prophecy candle this morning. And so each week we look at a theme, hope, love, joy, peace. This morning, the first week of Advent, typically we, we are reminded of hope, of hope. And so we're going to look at a song that talks about hope. And we talk about hope in the church. It's not the same as hope in what we say in the English language. Because when we say, I hope, okay, so you're hoping we are going to get by. We're not going to get Clemson in the first round, right? We're hoping. And there's a little, there's some expectation, but there's not a lot of confidence, right? You're, there's, there's expressing some, some positivity, but, but they're not really sure. That's the way we use hope. Hope I get that. Hope I get this. Hope this happens. Hope in the scripture is not that. The word for hope in the scripture, we talk about a a confident expectation of something better. There is an absolute surety. That's the way the the scripture uses the word hope. There is no doubt about it. If you had true hope, and you could, you'd say, there's no doubt about it, Georgia national champions, period, end of story. Unfortunately, we can't know that. Confidence and trust. That is biblical hope. And y'all, God, our God is a God of hope. What is sad to me is this, is that most churches and most Christians, you walk into most churches and it doesn't feel like a place of hope. A place of cynicism, a place of criticism, a place of half glass empty. Yeah. A place of worry. Man, did you watch Fox News this morning for church? It's so bad. Right? Yeah. That's the church, unfortunately. We're like a bunch of Cleveland Brown fans. Anybody a Cleveland Brown fan? Like three of you? See, they haven't won anything since 1960. And so every year the Cleveland Brown fans wake up and they're like, we're going to know it. So there's a cynicism with them. We even have ugly uniforms, orange and brown. Who picks those colors? So there's a cynicism just naturally from coming from Cleveland. And that's Christian sometimes. And can I challenge you a little bit? That our God, that's not, the, that's not the God that we worship. That is not the God that is, that is revealed in this scripture. This God that, that reveals himself to us here and in, and in creation and all sorts of things is a God of hope. You cannot read the Old Testament and the New Testament without seeing. Go through the Psalms. Let me just give you a couple of examples. You are my hiding place, my shield. I hope in your word. For you, O oh Lord, are my hope, my trust, O oh Lord, from you from youth. For God in the New Testament too, Paul says this as he closes out Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may what? Abound in hope. Not just have a little hope, that the church is supposed to abound. That means like be overflowing with hope. He said early in this chapter, he says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. The entire Old Testament, he's saying all these stories about Moses and David and all the Psalms and all the Proverbs and all these things, they were written for us so that we would have instruction, so that we might have hope. The church is supposed to be a people of hope. You know what hopeful people do? They smile. See, now a couple of you are there frowning to smile because you're like, oh man, he's going to think I'm a pagan. I'm happy. Balcony people know I can't see them, so they're really like, I don't care. But hopeful people smile. They do. It, it, it's just natural. It is an oxymoron for a Christian to be grumpy. I've told you this before. I'm not saying you have to be, everything is great. Oh, look, we, you know, we just trashed the car and I might have cancer. I'm not saying you have to always be like, yay, isn't it great? I'm Mary Poppins. But there is hope in Christians. And if any place over the Christmas holiday should be joyful, it's here. It's not Walmart, that's for sure, <laughs> right? The Amazon warehouse, no place to be. We are hopeful people. And you know what else hopeful people do? And this is why this series is important. Hopeful people sing. I know some of you are like, oh, I don't sing. I love the Bible, but I don't sing. Bull, if I start singing this, glory, glory to Georgia, half of y'all be like, oh, no, 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 I never understood that, G-E-O-R-G, you have to to get the two E-O's together, right? But some of you think, I don't even know the Georgia fight song, you probably didn't even know the Georgia fight song. But if I start singing that, you're going to stand up and wave your flag. Where, if you're in the car alone and We Are the Champions by Queen comes on, yeah, I know, we are the champions. And you're going to be flashing back to 1982, high school champion. You, you can't say we don't sing, right? We are a singing people. In the, wor- in the words of the, uh, the famous theologian, Buddy the Elf, the best way to spread Christmas cheer is to sing loudly. For all to hear. All right? The people of God are a singing people. And so let me just, real, before we even jump into our song, I want you to understand this. And Ethan's not here today, and I'm glad, because it's coming from me, not him. Because he can always say, you ought to sing, because my job's in danger if you don't sing. But I'm telling you, the people of God are a singing people. And let me give you two reasons why. There's a vertical reason. Real quick, I could talk hours on this, but there's a vertical reason, and there's a horizontal reason. Let me just give you a passage Paul says this, don't get drunk with wine that is debauchery. Be filled with the spirit, addressing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the vertical piece of this is this. It's, there's, there's several of them, but really the big thing is, so we sing because number one, we're obedient and God says, sing. He tells us, sing, address one another, right? In spiritual songs, he says in Colossians the same thing. We're told to sing. Second reason, second vertical reason is, is because it's, it's a sign of people who are filled and controlled by the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit. And what does that look like? You address one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It's, it's a way to be filled. It is a way to show you are filled. Right? It, it's it's this, this vertical relationship with God. All right? Third thing. It's a way to express your thankful. Look what he says. Giving thanks always to God the Father. It's a way for you to say, "God, you are great." God, I am thankful. This is what you've done. This is who you are. This is awesome. It's a way to do that. And fourth, and this is this is to me a a big piece about our the vertical relationship is it's it's a way to engage the heart and the emotions. Do you realize that God created music? It's okay. He was the inventor. Don't think oh, it was like Beethoven or somebody. God created music purposely to engage emotion. And heart, and I know this is a problem for some of you because you're like, no, we don't want to be emotional in church. We got to be, oh, it's got to be truth. Really? Then why is music so powerful in engaging our soul? It just is, right? You hear a song, it's, dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. and you're like, oh, serious, right? Or if you hear something in a minor key, it's like, oh, it's so sad. Or if you feel something bright, and it, music has a way of engaging our heart and our affections, and that's the way it's designed. It is supposed verse and the crashing cymbals, and this, and it's meant to, to do something in your soul. And singing is a way to engage. it engages. It. it is hard to remain emotionally disengaged when we're singing. I mean, and, and you, this is with classical music, secular music, Christian music. Think about this: you're tired, you're on the treadmill, you got one half mile to go, and all of a sudden. Dun, dun, dun. survivor, Rocky, you're like, I can do this, I got a half mile in me, I'm gold, I'm good, I'm Rocky, and you're going to start, you know, Avon, Drago, you know, <laughs> you're there because there's emotion and there's just something about music that, mm, there's it triggers memories, so you know, when we sing Christmas carols, some of you are flashing, that's how God created it, and so we're all afraid of the emotional piece, the reason we sing a lot of songs is because it's important. And a lot of churches, people ask, oh, it's interesting that you sing so many songs after the word. That's because we want to respond to the word. And we know that there's just something when we give some time that, that God has a way of just by his spirit just kind of getting you in that time of worship, right, of pointing things out. And so this, that's why this is important. Singing is important, right? Uh, and then there's a horizontal aspect real quick, too. What does he say in the text? He says, address one another. Address one another. You're, you're singing here to God, but you're also singing to one another. You're reminding, we're reminding each other, this is our jam. This is our song. This is true. Believe it. Because the people next to you, you don't understand. The guy in front of you that you never met, or you shook his hand and said, what's your name? And you forgot it two seconds later. His mom has cancer. And he needs to be reminded of, of the truth that we're singing. And, and the lady two rows over, or that's sitting in the back that snuck in late, or, or whatever, or maybe she's in the video venue, that she's going through divorce. And she feels like no one cares and no one knows. Or they just had a miscarriage, that couple over there. And you are singing, stirring the heart to, to, to move towards truth, even if he doesn't feel like it. Right? It's important for all of us. So when you're like, well, I don't sing, and you gonna kind of bolt as soon as the sermon's over, you're missing out on being obedient to God, and you're missing out on, on serving the rest of the body. And when you're lip syncing, same thing. People need you. Right? They need you. And then, really, one, another big thing about this horizontal thing is it unites us. It's a way of being united. That this group over here, and this group over here, and you in the balcony, and you got different backgrounds, and there's an Auburn fan, and there's a Georgia fan, and there's a person from the north, and this is the south, and this person's from China, and this person, we unite around this, we say, fly, eagles, fly, on the road. And, we, and we sing it, I sing it in the house, right, E-A-G-L, it's a way of uniting around everybody else, that's why it's important, that's why we do it, we don't do it for filler, we do it because it's important. All right? and, and, and I want us to be a church. God doesn't care about your voice. We put the music loud enough no one can really hear your voice specifically. Okay, that's the point. So, But even if it was horrible, who cares? God wants your heart. He wants you to sing. Right? And so that's what we want to be. We want to be a singing church with hope. And we don't want to be singing with, with, without our minds, too. Because we don't want to be, skirmish, skirmish, can you do the Fandango? So let's look at this song. Uh, This is a song that has been traditionally sung the first week of Advent, right? As we talk about hope, as we talk about prophecy, I mean, this is like the number one, week one Advent song, and it is one of our older carols. And when I say carol older, you know, we think, oh, the song, the Christmas carols are so old. Really, they're not. Most of the Christmas carols we sing that are traditional are written in the last 200 years. (laughs) So there's like 1,800 years of church history before that. But for us, that's old. And this carol that we're going to look at was written by a guy who spent a lot of time in Savannah. Ministered here, his name was Charles Wesley. It's a picture of old Chuck, right? It's his yearbook picture. All right, all right. Um, and it's called "Come Thou Long Expected Jesus." Again, traditionally sung on the opening week of Advent. Uh, and the story goes like this about how what this song came about. Charles had spent some time in Savannah in America. He had seen slavery at its rawest form. He spent a lot of time over in England. He saw orphans and, and, and just poverty. He saw the spirits, the, the rich and the poor, and just how much of the gap there was between that. He saw all sorts of suffering, and he realized that Jesus had been, been gone for 1,700 years, and things were not any really better. It seems we're, things are still people struggling. And, and so he's reading the prophet Haggai. And considering what the birth of Christ meant to those, those Old Testament saints. Right? Remember, Israel was enslaved for 700 years. Babylon, then Persia, then Greece, then Rome. And by, when Jesus came, they still were enslaved. And so he's thinking about how they were, were longing for a Messiah. And then he starts thinking himself about now how we're longing for the return. Right? Right? And that hopeful thought of the fact that when Jesus comes back, all, all these orphans and all this thing, he's going to fix all of this mess. And that hopeful thought consumed him, and with great anticipation, he, he found himself longing for the return of Jesus, and so he writes a prayer that becomes this carol in about 1744, first published in a little book called Nativity, uh, Hymns of the Nativity. And it actually didn't actually, the song didn't actually catch on for another 100 years until Spurgeon preached about it, because it didn't have a real good tune to it. So it was, it was a song, but it didn't have a tune, and so this Welsh dude named Pritchard writes a song named Hifridol. Don't know. That's a tune, and we're going to sing it to in a little bit. And it catches on. And for the last 150 years, the church has been singing this song on the opening day of Advent. Um, and understand, the, the words of the song are not inspired. They are not scripture but the truth that they are based on is, and, and he's got at least 16 allusions to the truth of Scripture uh, that talk us and point us to hope. And so I'm just going to work through it real quick. I just want us to sing it and understand it. And so some of it's clear, some of it maybe not, but I want us to be educated, full-hearted worshipers as we long for true hope. And this is a song about hope. So let me look at the first verse. Here it is. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us, let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart. He starts with the point right up front. Come thou long expected Jesus. Come on, return. Right, the sol- slavery, poverty, sickness, guess what? We still have it. It may look a little different. We still have it. It's the same issues. What is the solution to Chaos. There's only one. It's the return of Christ. Right? And so you say, how do you know Jesus is coming back? Because he said so. He said in John, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. See, that is the confident expectation of something better. We get, all ex- we get excited this time of year for a lot of things, right? There's a lot of expectation. I hope I lose 10 pounds next year. I hope I meet Mr. Wright. I hope I meet Mrs. Right. Maybe this year will be the year we get out of debt. Maybe this year will be the year that our family finally gets along. Maybe this will be the year that, um, you know, I finally feel physically better. A lot of expectations. Some of us of more nerdy nature in the building have been looking forward to December 14th for about two years. Georgia doesn't play then. On December 14th, a certain movie comes out. And so we already have tickets, your staff, half of us. And we got plans. And we got, you know, we, we have it mapped out. Good. <laughs> I might have a lightsaber. I might have two. But here's the thing. I got a lot of hope for this movie now. I hope there's TIE Fighters. I hope there's lightsabers. I hope there's arms getting lopped off and all. But I don't really know how it's going to turn out. I mean, it could be awesome, or they could drop on us a Jar Jar Binks. I don't know. I got huge expectations, but I don't really know. You may get the bonus. You may not. It may be the year. That your family gets together? It may not. You, you really don't know. And, and it's fine. Those are all good things. The raises, these are, these are fine things. But what was said, and he will return. And that is where our hope is. That is the confident expectation of something better. Because when he returns, anything you can fathom will be infinitely less. How do you know? Because whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And so what this Advent season forces us to do is we look back so that we can look up. That's the point. So the, the start of the song is the point of the song. Come on, we're expecting you. Longly return. Uh, you who were born to set your people free. He is a redeemer. He is a rescuer. And you know for Wesley, the image of slaves in England treated like animals. And he's, he's, that's a fresh picture for him. He says, you were born to set us free, because we were all slaves, enslaved to our sin. How does a freed slave act? Grumpy? Or is there joy? Is he a cynic, or is there hope? He said, that's, that's why he came the first time. That is why he will come the second time, because whom the Son has set free is free what? Indeed right? From our fears and our sins. Release us. You don't have to be afraid anymore because God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power, love, and a self-mind. Release us from the things that were enslaving to us. And, And I love the, instead of fear and sin, let us find rest. Isn't that a great word for those who are parents? Rest. And it's a very biblical word because Jesus says, come to me, All who are weary, anybody weary? And heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, right? My burden is light. And he says, let's find our rest. Think about this. When when Jesus returns, there's no fear of condemnation. There's no no fear of sin. There's no performing, is he going to love me? Right? Right? When he returns, think about this. Some of you are like, man, I don't know how I'm going to do Christmas this year. When when Jesus returns, no one is going to have credit card debt. There's going to be no more depression and anxiety and conflict in your family. You're not going to worry about money and health and grades. You can eat as much as you want and never gain weight. I don't know if that's true, but I'm hoping. I mean, I don't know if there's, you know, I think there's food in heaven, but... Is there a 24-hour fitness? I don't know. <laughs> but the point is, there's, when he returns, it'll all be different. There's, you're not going to be tired again. You're not going to worry about being abused by your boss or your parents or your kids. And he said, that's rest. And there's spiritual rest. You don't have to perform for God. He has, he has given you everything you need. He's done everything. You can rest in him. He is Israel's strength and consolation. This is right out of Simeon. Remember Simeon in Luke chapter 2? He's the one we based our entire series on. He said that this child is appointed for the fall and rising. Same Simeon. He was, it says, waiting for the consolation of Israel. It's a word that means the lifting of spirits. I love that. That Israel's spirits were low because they had been enslaved. And he is waiting for the lifting of spirits. And so Jesus is the lifting of spirits for those who were down. But not just Israel. for, For the hope of all the earth. Isn't that a great line? He is not just a Jewish Messiah. He is a Gentile Messiah. He is not just the God of one nation. He is the God of all nations. And so he is our lifting of spirits. He is our strength. That's who we're longing for. And then he says, dear desire of every nation. This is where you'll see this this line in a lot of old carols. And here's why. Let me show you this, because it's important for you to understand. I want you to be intelligent here. I want you to be thinking. Okay. Oh, that's a second verse. Where's my Haggai reference? Not there. All right. Well, so we'll go back to Chuck then. All right. Let me read. So in Haggai chapter 2, verse 7, there's a verse in the King James Version that says, and the desire of nations will come. All right, I'm just going off, I had a slide, but for some reason it got lost in translation, right? It's in the cloud. But, so the King James Version translates it, the desire of nations. And so the old, old theologians, because it's, it was their interpretation, they, they understood that desire of nations to be a messianic title, right? So they would say, Jesus is the desire of nations because that was their understanding but when you know as grammar has been kind of explored and, and realized as we've kind of got further and better manuscript evidence of the scriptures what they realized in most translations is that that's not a actual reference to Jesus himself it's actually a reference to and this is what it says in, in our translation I will shake the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in the idea is not that, that Jesus is the treasure of nations or the desire. is that the people will actually be bringing in their treasures to the Messiah. So it doesn't change the meaning a huge bit. But this is why you see the title Desire of Nations, which when in the 1800s all they had was the King James Version. So... It's kind of the only, it wasn't like, eh, the new King James came out in 1887, you know. They just had one translation of the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now we have a better understanding of Hebrew language and all these things. And so, but the point is this, give them to the most valuable because he is the most precious. Because he is the joy of every longing heart. Those who long for joy will find it, not in stuff, not in things, but in a person, I think about all the things just in this first verse, that Jesus is freedom, he is peace, he is rest, he is strength, he is consolation, he is priceless, he is joy. That is our Savior. That's just verse one. That's rich. Right? That's a rich prayer. Look at verse two real quick. Born thy people to deliver, born a child yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom ring. By thy own eternal spirit rule in our hearts alone. By then all sufficient merit raises to drawing you into. He was born to be a deliverer. We talked about that. He was born a child, but yet a king. This is unique. And this is right out of the Magi discourse. Remember the wise men come and they say, where is the one who was born king of the Jews? No one is born king of the Jews. You might, if you're, if you're born into the royal house, you're born a prince. You're not born a king. Jesus is born a king. Very unique role for him. Right? Very, very, very different. And this is exactly what Gabriel had told him. He will be great. He will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. He is born a king. This is Isaiah 9. Unto us a child is born and given. Right? He was born as a king to reign. But notice the language. I love this is, this is what we sang earlier. This is Emmanuel, that God with us. And he says, "Bring now bring your gracious kingdom. It's like another cry. Because you are a gracious king and your kingdom is gracious, bring it. I mean, who wants, if you, if you look through history, nobody is really fond of their king. It's just like their president. 50% of the people will like him. 50% of the people don't. It doesn't matter who it is. It could be Bugs Bunny. I like Bugs Bunny. No, I'm an Elmer Fudd kind of guy. I, but this king is, bring in his kingdom because it is glorious. Because this king is one who rules in us. He's the one who says, here, you're my brothers. You're my sisters. I want you to rule and reign with me. You are my friends. What kind of king does that? Come, come bring your kingdom now. It's the same thing Jesus teaches us to pray. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That's, he, that's where he's going. So reign, rule now, right? Uh, bring your kingdom by your internal spirit. Rule in your hearts alone. He's talking about the Holy Spirit now. And he says, rule in our hearts alone. I want you, Lord Jesus. This is our prayer. This is the response to Advent, y'all. This, this is the prayer of the Christian, of the church. Rule in our hearts, Lord Jesus. See, I want you to take my mind because I want you to, I want you to rule over my mind and my thought life and so I'm gonna guard the thing against the things you don't want. My speech. I want you to to rule over my speech so that I am not slandering, I am not gossiping, I am not tearing down, I am building up. All right? So I want you to rule, I want you to rule my emotions so that I'm not just so so overly, you know, too much here or too much there or just, you know, that I feel hard against against this person and I feel, you know, I'm showing partiality. Rule my spirit. Rule my work, rule my relationships. I I want you, Lord Jesus, you're good, you're the good shepherd, I want, you to, I want you to guide me. It's the prayer of the church, right? That's it. And then he closes, by your all-sufficient merit, raise us to thy glorious throne. It's not, well, look how good of a life I lived, right? It's by your merit. It's, it's not, you better not, pal, you better not cry, you better not shout, I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming, so you better be good. It's not about you being good. He's he's saying, don't look at my worst day, Lord Jesus, but don't look at my best day either. Just look at you. It's by your merit. This is why you came. This is why God became a man, so that you would live the life I could not live. So by everything that you have done, God, look look at your son. Don't look at me. And then raise me up to your throne. It is the heart of what we are. As we had a substitute, we had a savior, right? And, and then when, I, when I'm there, then my faith will no, longer, no lo- will no longer just be faith. It'll be my sight. I will see what I've been hoping in. I will see what I've been believing in, and all of what he has done. It's been 270 years from so old Chuck Wesley wrote this song. Not a lot's changed. Not a lot. And... and for 1,700 years before that, I mean, we got the internet now. Let's change that. We have the internet right, and Walmart, but not a lot of other things change. Hearts of men unchanged. changed. And 1,700 years before that, not a lot has changed. But into the chaos of brokenness, a baby was born quietly, unassumingly. Very few people knew it, right, to a Young teenage couple they were broke as a joke, right? No money, no house, no nothing. Inconspicuous. God became a man, and he arrived the first time. Just like he said he would. The seed of a woman would crush the head of the serpent. That, that one from Judah would come. That one from David would come. The, the branch of Jesse would come. He'd be born in Bethlehem. He would be born of a virgin. He'd be wrapped in cloths. Right? He came the first time. He's going to come the second time. And that's what Advent is all about, Charlie Brown. We look back. He did everything he said he was going to do. I know some of you are like, well, it's been 2,000 years. What's 2,000 years in eternity? It's a blink. That's why Peter says he's not slow about his promise. He's patient. Not wishing any to perish, but all to come repent. repentance. A day is like a thousand years. A thousand years like a day in God's, in God's time. And so if you're a Christian, look, this is your song. This is your song. So when we sing it, sing it like it's your song. Pray it like it's yours. Here's a, here's a great word for you. Let me teach you some Aramaic. Ready? You're like, I'm going to learn Aramaic at Christmas. Okay? Maranatha. Say Maranatha. All right? You thought it was a cheesy 70s band. It's not. It's an Aramaic word. This means... Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That's the cry of the church. That's the cry of this song. That's the cry of Advent. That is your hope. I know it's dark for some of you. I know it's bright for some of you. It doesn't matter. Your ultimate hope is in Maranatha. And so this is your song. So sing it like it's your song. It's more important song than glory, glory to our Georgia, believe it or not. Right? Right? And so let it stir your affections. Let it. Let it you know, drive you to be thankful to him, let it encourage the people around you, that is why we sing. So let's sing it like we mean it. There is a God who has brought you here today to let you know that he loves you, that he came 2,000 years ago as a man to live a life that you couldn't live, to die a death that you didn't want to die, and he did it for you, and he loves you. And that's why he has you here. And he can be your king, and he can give you hope, and he can be your savior if you just put your trust in him. Right, that is what this is about. It's us reflecting and hope. It's hope. And so let's be a people of hope this year. Let's not walk around Walmart grumpy. You got 25 cents in your pocket, put it in the red bucket. Oh, I don't have any, I don't have any money. I'm sorry. I just spent $3,000 on a TV, but I don't have any money, you know, fighting for a parking space. Walk. Let's see there's not. Then you five, six, 700 people in this room, we can, we can infiltrate Savannah with hope. Can't we? Can you, go, can you go out of your high school this week? Can you go out to Gulfstream this week? Can you go out to Hunter Army Airfield? Can you go to your schools, wherever it is, with some hope? Because, because one day, he's come. That's, that's what this is about. That's what Advent is about. All right? So we're going to sing a couple songs, and I'm gonna be, I'm, the Lord's going to be honored by your singing, and I'm going to be impressed. Not the quality of it, but we're just going to sing with joy and hope. So let me, let me pray, and you guys stand uh, as we worship. Father, just in this season of Advent let there be hope when there's maybe not a lot for some. Um, I just pray that the words of this song written by our brother who we'll meet one day, we'll worship with him forever uh, would bring true. That we would as a church have expectancy and longing and hope for that which is a confident expectation of something better. Um, Just use us this, this season to Give hope to other people who need it. Uh, We have the hope of Christ in us, Emmanuel. And so I just pray that we would reflect that well. It's in Christ's name I pray.